Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a bloody long summer. There's been trade talk, fixture leaks, people trading the house down, off-field scandals, match simulations, a couple of pre-season games, and frankly, we've all had enough. Yeah. It's time for the footy to start, and it starts Thursday night. Tomorrow night, if you're listening to this, when it comes out straight away, when Richmond takes on Carlton, as they always do, in front of an almost packed house at the MCG. And just then, we'll know that footy's back and all is right with the world. And with me across the other side of the table here in the pod cave, thanks to TLA Sportsmate and the Footy Live app, is the number one one-eyed Hawks fan, number one football expert, and the super coach himself, Nick Guglielminio. <laughs> and uh, mate, how long has this summer been for oh, you? Oh mate, it has dragged on, and I, I, I bring up the point every single season um, that the preseason is just too long, it, and for me, it just it drags on a little bit extra every year. But as you said, big weekend coming up. Thankfully, it has arrived. We've got a nice view of the MCG from here, actually, and it's just glistening in the sun's rays right now. And it's uh, enjoying the calm before the storm before tomorrow night uh, when the, the Tigers meet the Blues. And there's four good games at the MCG uh, this weekend, actually. So looking forward to getting stuck into some previews here. Absolutely. But before we get that, I've got some rapid fire questions. We're doing this each week in our fans eyed view uh, questions of the week segment. This is, of course, the fans eyed view podcast by fans for fans yeah. and usually one eyed fans at that. But the first one you mentioned there, preseason, a bit of a debacle this year. Mm-hmm. Had a couple of match simulations where we had six quarters, eight quarters, 12 quarters, as many quarters as you want, as many yeah. players as you want coming in and out. Mm-hmm. Now we had the one actual practice game. Yeah. Should we bring back? The, the NAB, the Wizard, the Anzet, the Foster's <laughs> Cup? Or should we just scrap the preseason altogether? Oh, look, I, I kind of like it how it is at the moment. I'm not, not too much of a big fan of the preseason competitions and putting a name on it and a, a trophy and all that sort of stuff. Practice matches, preseason games, they're there for that reason. It's practice, it's match simulation, it's getting some mileage into the legs before the real stuff kicks off. So... Yeah, I'm not a fan of, um, yeah, putting a bit of uh, glitter on these type of games. But, yeah, just keep them for what they are. And that's just, um, yeah, practice. Practice games. There you go. So then what's worse then? Uh, David King hopping on SEN at 7 o'clock every morning telling us he's been down to the Geelong Training Centre and (laughs) they have standards that are out just unimaginable. You can't imagine the standards of these training sessions or everyone overreacting to a, you know, four Super Bowl performance from the uh, the Kangaroos in week one of a three-week preseason game. Which would you have to prefer if you had to choose one? I understand your point there. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's a part of the sport, um, going down to training sessions and um, well, getting, getting some hype around some of the new recruits or uh, someone who's been spending a bit of extra time in midfield over the summer. So, um, yeah, it's all a part of hyping up that season. So, I guess, yeah, sticking to that instead of, again, the super goals and the Americanized competitions – not really a fan yeah. of it. And to be fair, apparently everyone was down there. I'm sure you got down to a few Hawthorne training sessions. Yeah. yeah. And then everyone, everyone, people wanting past Arden Park, apparently. Arden Street, they're wanting past me. Like, you know what? We're going to watch that Ruse have a, have a good old kick to kick. So yeah. apparently if you take away the Americanized competitions, people get down to training. They get down to their local grounds. It must be good for the game. So obviously we've scrapped the preseason competition altogether. Shout out to the sponsors. If you've missed out on that preseason comp, come sponsor us the podcast or sponsor the app instead. <laughs> Much better value there. So what's more important there? Is it preseason form 
these match simulations when you've got, you know, eight quarters or is it preseason health? Do you, do you care if your club is getting spanked so long as everyone's fit and ready for round one? Yeah, no, definitely preseason health. You want to be entering the new season um, as fit as you possibly can and healthy, hardly any injuries. I know it's, it's almost impossible to escape an injury these days, whether it be a concussion or touch wood, something um, a lot more serious, but yeah, no, definitely health is more important at this stage. But then again, you, I know a lot of people say that, you know, form doesn't matter in preseason, but you wouldn't want to be getting spanked by 100 points either a couple of weeks out from the season. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're both important in their own right, but I'd definitely be leaning towards uh, staying healthy. Yeah. And as we said, once we get rid of the preseason competition, you're more likely to stay healthy. Everything's more controlled. Everyone gets to the start line in their best possible condition, unless you're the St Kilda Football Club. And shout out to them. I'm sure we mentioned them when it comes to our previews. And the last question then is when we're trying to predict then, if we've taken away the preseason, we have nothing to overreact to, just a couple of quarters of football and some match simulations, what's more important when we're doing our predictions for the season then? Is it squad depth, just the names on the sheet, or is it the coaching, the systems, the club, the vibes? Um, I, How are you making your predictions this year? I think definitely coaching systems. I think that that's more important. Obviously, that I mean, you'd love both, and they are again both important in their own right. You need depth. I think um, that's crucial. It's crucial for uh, sustained periods of success over long periods. But I think you know Geelong showed. Um, more than ever last season, how important it is to have a you know a good system because if you know a big name player does go down, you don't need to replace him with you know another star player. Uh, that's where the system comes in, and um, yeah, you can bring in anyone to just enter that best twenty-two, play their role, and your team still wins. So yeah, it's it's very important to have a really good structure and. Um, yeah, it, I think a lot of teams have been underestimated this season or uh, completely written off um, just due to their off-season trades or their drafting or uh, the coaches they've brought in. So, yeah, uh, I'll get stuck into that a little, a little bit further on. But, yeah, I think coaching and systems is too important. Well, there you go. So not to put the horse before the cart, but north of Melbourne with Clarko, the best coach of all time, obviously playing finals. Uh, Brad Scott joins uh, Essendon. They're obviously playing finals. He was a great coach that took sides that didn't make the top four into the prelim finals. Um, and, of course, Ross the Boss, you know, going to take St. Kilda to Premier's Land as well, obviously, you know, over the more, you know, glamour clubs. Is that what you're saying? You don't have to answer that question right now. We'll get to the, the previews in a bit. But if that's what coaches do, then uh, obviously they'll be our predictions. But the other thing that you do really well, Nico, mm-hmm. is uh, is a newsbreaker. You know, forget Damien Barrett, forget SEN, forget yep. Tom Morris coming back this year. <laughs> Shout out to Tommy Morris. Uh, what was the big stories from a fan's perspective that we actually cared about? Not the doorstops, not the uh, not what happened in the turnstiles. What are the mm-hmm. things that we actually care about as fans? Well, as soon as the season finished last year, Gordo, um, the big the big stories started coming out almost straight away and it usually does around trade period and, um, you know, after the season when coaches start getting sacked. So the first big one obviously was Ross Lyon returning to St Kilda, uh, the massive ones for Saints fans, obviously a much-beloved figure at the club. Kind of did them dirty last time he left the Saints when he joined Freo and 
Um, but yeah, the Saints fans, they're, they're trying to forget about that and they're getting around the hype, the return of Ross the boss. And yeah, yeah I mean, he's a great coach in his own right. During his time, he was probably one of the best in the competition alongside, you know, Clarkson and the rest. Um, so yeah, Ross Lyon returning, it's going to be a big story this season and a very interesting watch. And as a fan and as a, as a journalist and a sports content producer, have you been enjoying the return of the Rossisms? Have you been tuning into his press conferences, been breaking them down? Are you, is he there to be the new, the new old Mick Melthouse or uh, should he just, you know, turn it back and put more focus on his players? One, one swallow doesn't make a summer, does it? But I thought there's a bit to like in there. Probably seeping out on us, probably beast and honeypot a bit. Well, I think you just let the cobbler do the cobbling. You take your bouquets and you take your hits, so clearly... It's all noise, it's all hyperbole. And as I said, it's got more froth than Theranos. Look, we've been really working diligently and assiduously and intently and with a passion. There's no draconian measures here. No one likes losing it, isn't it? anything. I play with a ten-year-old son, I want to beat him in marbles, so... Everyone adapts and who knows? I lost my crystal ball. But um, we don't rebuild, but we restart, we rewire, we replumb. Yeah, they're not ideal, and um, it's all hyperbole. And so, but it's an opinion business, that's all okay. We'll be back after a quick break. It's a tough one with Ruth Ross um, at the best of times. It might be his tone of voice, but he's he's not the most interesting person to listen to. But when he's in a mood, um, he can definitely bring some entertainment. So I haven't really tuned into many of his press conferences, to be honest, but I'll be looking forward to them. Uh, the the post-match presses anyway, that's when it gets really interesting. Absolutely. So that's Ross, the boss returning to St Kilda. What were some other the big headlines for you as a fan this year? Mm, Jason Horn Francis. Leaving North Melbourne, you know, 12 months prior, they, they sacrificed the number one pick on him to bring him over from South Australia, settle in. He slept the night, um, that night of the draft night in a North Melbourne Guernsey, and he's left that all behind to go back home um, in a year's time to join Port Adelaide. It's massive. Um, and obviously there's been some controversies around his time at North, the whole ice bath incident, um, discipline issues and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, there's no excuse for him this season. I know North struggled last year, but, you know, he's in a good, a, a pretty good positive environment at Port Adelaide. Um, he'll be joining a winning team essentially or winning more than North anyway and um, there's no excuse for him not to not to perform now so he's again another interesting watch this year and who reckons more on the gun then for the start of the season obviously last year Port Adelaide started the season 0 and 5 they missed the top 8 and they lost preliminary funnels each of those two years prior so they're they've gone from bad bad to worse and now you know this is the year they really need to make it happen 
is it going to be JHF or is it going to be the coach, Ken Hinckley? Who is more under the pump this year from a performance aspect as of round one? Yeah. Ooh, it's a tough one. Again, you can make a case for both, but probably Hinkley. I think them, the, the drop-off they had last year from finishing top four, second on the ladder, um, having a very disappointing final series that year as well to then dropping to, what was it, 12th? Uh, or 11th last year, starting 0-5, like you said. I don't think you can afford another start like that. Um, and I, th- I think they'll be, uh, again, they gave up a lot for Jason Horn Francis. They'll be expecting to climb back up the ladder and push for finals contention. I know a lot of people, again, have written them off, not giving, not giving them much hope. But internally and amongst their fan base especially, I think uh, they will be expecting to return to finals this year. And uh, I think it's almost uh, a necessity given the comments that uh, Mr. Koch has made about uh, his current coach saying, you know, we've put the discussions on hold until August, which is basically saying make finals, probably, you know, go pretty deep in finals. Otherwise, it will be time to uh, move on to someone else. And uh, what's your final headline? If you had to think of the biggest one yet, (laughs) what was the one that really, you know, grabbed your interest and got you through the drought that was the uh, football summer? it has to be the Bombers, doesn't it? Uh, they couldn't get themselves out of the headlines over the offseason. They were the big one. You know, there's, there's soak be, uh, the coach being sacked, um, the changing captaincy, the whole CEO debacle, bringing in a CEO, a new one, and then getting rid of him, bringing in another one, the president. There's been so many changes at the top for the Bombers over the offseason. Um and much needed, it has to be said. Uh, again, I'm not. Uh, I'm a big fan of some of the changes they've made. They had to happen, um, and uh, you know we saw the unfortunate circumstances with Ben Rutten um, in the la- in that last month as coach of the Essendon Football Club. He kind of lost uh, the dressing room a little bit. Um, if you remember that incident on the bench uh, with Nick Hind, yeah. Uh, again, these changes had to happen, and again. Um, there's no excuse for the Bombers now. I know that last year the, the, the players would have, you know, the, the fans would have said the players can uh, do have an excuse to underperform because of all the, the off-field stuff going on and the, the board decisions and all of that. But this year, it's a fresh start. They've brought in a good coach, Brad Scott. He's got history of making finals. Their list, again, on paper isn't too bad if you look at their midfield and some of their young kids coming through. But, um, yeah, I think Bombers fans have been waiting a long time. They'll be hoping to see some of those green shoots come through this season. And uh, so people, you know, who are obviously very keen to see the Bombers succeed or potentially not succeed into, uh, you know, enhance their own previous reputations uh, are members of the media. And so Lordy came out a couple of days ago and said that they need to play tougher, more aggressive football and, you know, question whether or not Merritt was the right person to be in a leadership group or anything mm. like that. Obviously, uh, fitness freak Kane Corns has been on uh, Channel 9 saying that they're all overweight, they're all under-trained, they're, they're not of AFL standard. Mm. Um how much of this can we expect? Did they Is only wins going to stop this kind of ultra critique of Eston? Are they the new whipping boys for 2023? Or, you know, can they get a, can they just play well, show some good potential with their youth and get away with, you know, finishing last this year? Or will that be an absolute dumpster fire situation for them as a club? Yeah. Well, it, it's been set up for them to fail, really. Again, like you said, the media are already on their back. They will be the whipping boys this season if they don't perform. 
the only way they can silence all that is by winning games. Um, obviously, again, it, it, the, the likes of Jake Stringer, he hasn't got off to the best start. Again, he can't, returns to preseason um, unfit, won't be playing round one. Uh, you, you expect more from your leadership group. They bring in Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, who's, which is a great story. Again, he, I'm not sure if he'll be playing round one. Um, it, it's it's up to that point now for Essendon where they have to be setting the standards on field. Um, they can't be handing games out to senior guys who are unfit. They have to be giving games to kids and players who deserve to be playing in that team. So, uh, yeah, it's a very important season for Essendon just to set the standards of that club. And, yeah, again, if, if they want to silence the outside noise, show us what you got. Win games of footy. And so even uh, Rockman Sam Draper came out and he got quite upset because uh, the other 17 captains of the AFL uh, did not, well, not one single of them mentioned that uh, Essendon would make the finals, lumping them in with clubs like your Hawthorns and your North Melbournes mm-hmm. um, and your West Coasts, interestingly enough as well. Yeah. And so, you know, the players are against them, the industry's against them, the media's against them. Most of the time their fans are against them. So as you said, it's going to be a very, very tough year and there won't be any green shoots excuses. This is not the Carlton Football Club. This is not everything's positive. (laughs) This is Essendon. They love to pile on when things get tough and things might get tough very quickly. Speaking of things being tough, it's time to do the most pointless exercise in all of media, which is how everyone has, Roko, this today just wrote that. He said, like, I don't know why we do this because in six months' time, people will comment and be like, oh, my God, I can't believe you didn't see Team X finishing and position Y. Why didn't you pick the winners? Why do you even bother? Yeah. We bother because it's fun. That's why we do this. This is fans out view. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone can't see the future. That's why we play the games. Let's make a fool out of ourselves. Let's keep the comments flowing in and how much of an idiot we are and let's do our predictions for 2023. And we'll start off with the Spooners. Yes. Uh, Who is your... Who's in your bracket or who is your standout Spooners selection? I've got three in my bracket um, and I think everyone will as well have these three teams. Hawthorne, obviously, youngest team in the competition, Gordo. Um, young, one of the youngest teams I think we've ever seen with only one player over the th- over 30 being Luke Bruce. North Melbourne is staring down the barrel of a third straight wooden spoon, unprecedented really. And, oh, I mean, if you include the season before those, uh, they also finished equal last to Adelaide. So they're going into a year where you expect them to jump up, but I'm not too sure if they will. And then, again, Essendon. I think you have to keep them in that bottom three bracket to start the season. As you said, the captains of the league don't have a near finals. Uh, I don't think the media has a near finals. Um, yeah, and and the way their list is structured at the moment, young, definitely. They've got a good mix of youth and experience, but I, I just think they're lacking too many key position players. Um, again, I, I know this is contra- contradictory to what I said at the start, but um, their depth... Um, I think is a serious issue in that key key position department. Um, I'll get into that a little bit later on, but as a Hawthorne supporter, Gordo, if there was ever a year, and I I mean this truly, if there was ever a year where I wanted Hawthorne to finish last, it would be this season. And that's because of a young player, young 17-year-old named Harley Reid, who is set up to have possibly one of the best youth draft seasons, whatever you want to call it, of all time. He, he's touted to be 
an incredible talent. Um, and I want him more than anything at my club next season. I really do. But do you want him at the expense? Because this is the hard thing. Because it's not. It's not the club last year. So, like, who you lost in the offseason? You've lost Gunston, you've lost Shield, you've lost... Mitchell. Mitchell. O'Meara. O'Meara. Yeah. So you could you could tank. In, you could do a soft T tank. You can't tank for real. That's against the rules now. Thanks, Melbourne. But <laughs> you could tank with those players there and still maintain the culture and the standards and have someone there to bring in another new recruit or a batch of new recruits. Otherwise, what happens is that you become North Melbourne. You finish yep. bottom four, bottom four, bottom four, bottom. Like, do you – you don't want to obviously see your club playing losing football. You don't mind yep. if they came last, if they played – you know, they won five games and the bottom bottom four was all four wins, five wins. Mm. But you don't want to be the situation where you're going to be on one win, surely. Well, exactly. This is the tough one. I think the ideal situation would be to lose games but play competitive football. Yeah. Um, but, you know, nothing's ideal these days. Um, if you're going to finish last, you're, you're going to win between one and four or five games, which is going to be – you'll be in for a tough year. Um, on the other hand of that, I, I don't see Hawthorne winning between one and five games. I, I see them winning more than that, to be honest. And I know a lot of people will disagree with me. Some might call me biased for saying that. I just – I mean, Hawthorne have been predicted to finish last the last two seasons, Gordon. Mm-hmm. It's true. And they haven't even finished bottom four or bottom five. They, last year they won more games last year than they did the year before with Clarkson. Yeah. They don't finish last. They don't lose. I mean, they do lose, but they don't – They don't lose that badly. They don't lose that badly. Yeah. I mean, it's been 56, 57 years since they last won a wooden spoon. So as much as I'd love to – Love to have Harley Reid at the Hawthorne Footy Club. I just don't think it's going to happen. So two points there. You said, you know, coaches are more important than talent. That was like if you had to pick one, you'd lean on coaches. Mm-hmm. Is Mitchell a good enough coach based on a one-year sample size? But he's also been an assistant around for a very long time. Do you think he's a good enough coach? Your current over-unders for wins of the year is six and a half, which is quite a lot for a team that's meant to come last. Everyone's thumping the unders. I'm probably going to hit the unders too, but is he good enough code to get you to seven wins? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, we won nine games last season. Um, Not many of them were very close games either. It's not like they scraped over the line. They didn't deserve to win. In fact, we lost a couple um, that, that were under a goal. We lost the Carlton by a point. We lost the Collingwood by under a goal. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think we'll win nine games, but I, I think they've got five or six in them this season. And I don't think North Melbourne do, or maybe even S- in Essendon. Hmm. The, the North, I mean, they, they won two games last season. The same amount of games as West Coast, who were playing a reserve side for, for half the year. They won four the year before, three the year before that. Like, that is bad. That is really bad. And to be honest, if if they finish last again, I'm not sure where they go from there, to be quite honest, to be brutally honest. The only thing going for them this year to not finish last is Alistair Clarkson. Can he set up defensively? Can I, I mean, he, his biggest task would be for North Melbourne not to finish last. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I think we we do see them setting up a bit more defensively to try and scrape out some wins. But as, as far as their list goes, they bring in Griffin Logue, Darcy Tugger, um, Daniel Howe, Liam Shields. They're not th- those type of players aren't going to win games off their own boot, um, and their their list is pretty young as well. So I don't know if they win too many more games than what they did last year. They uh, maybe three, four, five. I can't see them winning more than that. Um, yeah. Well, it's very tough, and I suppose I think the only advantage that Clarko has is I don't think it's like a one and done. Obviously, he's you, if you go and get Clarko, you're spending the you're spending the you're spending the bucks, and he's not silly enough, I think, to take a deal that is going to allow him some flexibility in the first couple of years of his tenure there. Mm-hmm. So obviously, as an and I think North fans also are kind of used to well, we're here for the little wins because obviously we've been pretty poor for a long time now, so. We're not. It's not about wins for us. It's about oh, does that does that play look like he's developing? Is it, you know, are we playing a bit better game style? Are we having a bit more defensive integrity? I think it's a bit of a free swing for Clarko. That being said, everything about Clarko that we see in the media and that we've read in books and we've seen on the Premiership years at Hawthorne, he wants to win. Yeah. So I don't know if he's going to enjoy himself that much if they're, you know, going to be as terrible as the the media points out. And to be fair, the media has got this wrong a lot of the time with last year's awesome call that Collingwood would finish with a spoon mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they finished in the top top four. So Yeah, yeah. And it's not it's not going to be the greatest or the easiest start to life as North coach as well for Clarko. Obviously with the with the off-field staff, the pressure's on him. Um, he, he's already lashed out at one journalist to start the season off. So um, you can see that he's under the pump. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how you know he deals with that as we enter the new year uh into the new season and obviously SNM was that last one i mentioned before like the likes of anthony mcdonald tip and woody um and jake stringer not being at their fittest level to start the season mcdonald mcdonald tip and woody obviously um has more reasons for that but I just think there's too many question marks with some of their guys, particularly the key position players. Like they've obviously got Peter Wright up forward. Who who's going to step up and be that second tall? Is it going to be? Is can Harrison Jones finally, you know, secure that spot in the forward line for the Bombers? Have a really good season, kick thirty or more goals. Sam Wiedemann didn't get the opportunity at Melbourne. Can he do it at Essendon now? Who knows? Um, in defence, uh, Zerk Thatcher, uh, Laverde, those, those sorts of guys, decent players, but can they take their game up to the next level? What happens if they get injured? What happens if Sam Draper gets injured? Who's the second Ruckman? Andrew Phillips. I just think there is a lot of VFL, not VFL, but stuck between VFL and AFL level players who just need to make that jump this season. And if they don't... It could be a really tough season for them. Absolutely. So the one club you didn't mention there, which has been in everyone else's, uh, you know, tiers or groupings or or so forth, is is West Coast. So where do you see West Coast? Was the was the anomaly last year just you know COVID having to play reserves, having to travel, all the restrictions, mm. or have they actually bottomed out? Because you look, they were on the downward trend beforehand. Was that last year actually just a good indication of what's to come? Because even when we look at the players that they, you know, they might be getting back, which is those like uh, Sheed only played 90 minutes last year. Allen only played, I uh, didn't play any minutes last year. McGovern played 900 minutes, which but he's a very important player for them. We wouldn't be playing basically 20-odd games. Same with Yo with only 300 minutes. 
if they all come back, does that fix their problem or is it just patched up for them to finish, you know, 12th, 13th, 14th? Or are they actually bound to be, you know, a bottom four side? Definitely bottom four uh, is on the, on the agenda for them, but I, I don't think they can finish below the likes of North. Again, the, the COVID year last year, they, they, they added the unluckiest start to the season ever, injuries, COVID, again, fielding VFL players or whatever you want to call it, waffle players um, to start the season off. It was just a dreadful year. And I, I do believe that, you know, they were on the down downward slope anyway. Um it accelerated a little bit last year, but I don't think they'll be as bad. They won't be a two-win team again this year. They've still got some decent players um, in, in on that list. They've still got Jack Darling up forward. They've still got Jeremy McGovern. They've still got their midfielders, Shuey, um, Elliot Yo, etc. Nick Natanui will come back. They'll win their game. They'll, they'll win enough games to avoid that wooden spoon and especially playing over in Perth, which is still such a massive strength for them. So I see them, uh, and, and you did see it like in the second half of last season, th- their football got a little bit better as their players got back into it. So I, I'm predicting a better start for them to uh, to season 2023. So I think we've come to the realisation here that it's going to be arguably Hawthorne or North finishing with the spoon. So who do you think it's going to be? I honestly, again, as much as I'd love the number one pick, I think it's going to be North. Yeah. as uh, On paper, you say it's it's North. However, I think a lot can go wrong with an untested coach, and I feel like everything almost went right for Mitchell last year. Mm-hmm. He had the transition was very, uh, I suppose, explosive rocky. and rocky <laughs> in, the, in the media at the start, but they got the wins. They got enough wins. They got a, a decent game style early doors, and it set them up for the, for the year. However, it's the opposite of case this year. I don't know if, you know, all of a sudden things start coming for Mitchell. Is he the right – was the transition right, especially if North goes the other way straight away as well. So yeah. those two will be an interesting tussle. We don't have relegation, obviously, in the AFL, mm-hmm. but if we did, that would be an interesting tussle between, you know, some histories, some some mixed uh, mixed messages, some uh, some media tete-a-tetes would be on the cards there. So one to watch. And for those playing along at home, the odds there, $2.75 each, dead heat, to have had the least wins for the wooden spoon in 2023. So we'll go into the contentious one now because from here we disagree wildly, which is great. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> this is great. This is what the fans' ideas is all about. We aren't yeah. experts, but we are entitled to our opinions. And so uh, we will we will vaguely lump this as faders, however – Spoiler alert, some of Nick's faders are my bolters. Some of my bolters are Nick's faders. Um, it's going to be a very tight year if that's the case. But lead us off with who you think will be a fader to drop out of last year's top eight. It, it's, it's really tough. Um, and I've seen a lot of top eight predictions in the last few days, as you do, uh, leading up to the season opener. A lot of top eights are exactly the same in terms of the teams from last season's top eight. Some people might just make room for Carlton coming in. But on average, Gordo, there are three teams that drop out of the eight every single year. This year, I can see a few of them. I can see a few potential teams that could drop out. Collingwood is one of them. Obviously, um, I think a lot of people will be questioning them after last season with the, the large amount of close wins they had. Are they able to replicate um, that sort of football? Can they improve on that? Um, can they become? A, can they cement themselves as a proper top eight team or top four team? 
Richmond is another one. I think they can go both ways. You know, Hopper and Taranto come in. Um, but for me, that doesn't guarantee success because, again, who did who did Hopper and Taranto play for last season? The Giants. Where did the Giants finish? Bottom three. Cochin, Martin, Rewalt, those sorts of guys, I think their success this season uh, will be dependent on how the, their veterans perform. So I can see the Tigers potentially dropping out or even finishing top four. Could go either way. Freo again, bring in Luke Jackson, O'Meara, some great names there, but they lose Rory Lobb and Griffin Logue, two pillars at each end of the ground. They lose a bit of depth with Meek and Tucker. So, again, could go either way. It could be a top four side. They could be similar to where they were last season or drop out of the top eight. But I am going, my fade up is Collingwood to drop out of the eight. So... We'll touch on, I reckon, Richmond first there because I find them most interesting. They're not in yeah. either my bolters or faders because I think they're going to just be there or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. I think they're, they're rightly judged in, well, the betting markets, not so much the uh, media markets if you're saying that they're the ones presented to fade. And I feel like Richmond fading, A, has been a storyline for the last three years. But yeah. also, and you know, yes, everyone's getting older. Like Cochin, Martin, Rewalt, they're all getting older. So, like, yes, they are going to fade eventually. Or mm-hmm. they'll just do what Geelong did last year, which was top up where they need to. And if you're listening to uh, Dimmer on Monday night, I think it was, on, on Fox Footy, he was saying that, you know, last couple of years we've been good in two areas. We've been very good in attack. We've been very good on turnover. We haven't been so great around the clearances. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you know, they've gone and topped up with Hopper in Taranto. But he believes that they've fixed their problem. The preseason footage suggests that they've probably fixed that problem. They're doing a lot more of that mid midfield clearance work that, you know, allows the Martins and the Cotchins to float forward and be more of a forward impact player. Mm-hmm. So you've now strengthened your forward line, you've bulked your middle, your turnover game was still probably number one in the competition so long as you had, you know, enough pressure around the source of the football. Yeah. And that sounds a lot like Geelong last year. This aging team, they're too old, they're too slow. They went and played an aggressive game style that was reliant on ball movement, not ball running, although yep. they did have the likes of Isaac Smith to add some outside pace. Yep. They had two of the best forwards. Well, arguably Richmond still has two of the best forwards in the competition too, yep. if not another fleet of smaller forwards and big body ones now with Cochin and Martin there as well in a more full-time basis. And all of a sudden you've got you know a team that looks and feels a lot like the team that won the premiership last year. Now, the obvious question is, does that game style match up year on year we don't know that but if you had to follow a blueprint you always follow the most and recent successful blueprint that was Geelong who were absolutely dominant I think it was 14 percentage points better and they had an extra eight eight points to two wins on on the rest of the competition so they were by far the best they showed it on the grand final day they won the premiership so went off into the sunset I could see Richmond doing the same you said Collingwood was a tip to fade the big question to you then is were they lucky last year? I think that yeah. I, I mean, lucky doesn't lucky doesn't sound good, but you can't say they weren't lucky. Because I remember, and this is you know, this is keeping receipts for a very long time. <laughs> but like the year that Hawthorne made top four after a bunch having yeah. win, winning a bunch of uh, of close games to go out in straight sets, you were like, well, it's not luck. Like that's you know, this is this is built on culture. This is built yes. on game style. This is built on match situation analysis. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't the same true for, for Collingwood? The, the difference is, and I'm not saying Hawthorne weren't lucky that year in 2018 because we did win a few close games, but to win eight, to to do it the way Collingwood 
did it last year, winning eight games by under a kick or whatever it was, all those late-game comebacks. Can't tell me you, you can do, pull that off without an element of luck involved. And by luck, I mean like the bounce of a ball or a free kick going your way in the last two minutes or whatever. Mm. A lot of things went right for Collingwood to pull that off. I find it interesting though. Can we go to other sports? You, it's almost a necessity for that to happen and we don't call yeah. it luck, we call it dynasty or awesomeness, especially where games, you know, NFL, for instance, I want you to make the postseason, every game's a knockout. Yeah. And they only, you know, they play for less minutes. But like when, you know, the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, it's not like, oh, that was lucky to win four games in a row. Like how lucky did they get? No. I think, again, this wasn't four. This was like ridiculous. This was like eight or whatever it was. And those situations do feel luck. But I feel like sometimes in sport, when we can't explain something, and especially nowadays when we want to use, you know, a simple stat like clearances or kicks or rebounds, whatever it is, when we can't explain something, we just go, okay, it's luck or it's vibes or it's culture. Definitely I agree with the culture because Collingwood turned it around magnificently last year. But mm-hmm. I think it also has to be, you know, structure. It has to be game knowledge. It has to be putting belief and faith in those players to execute their skills. And I think yep. they did that. And I don't see how they're going to regress just because they won a bunch of close games last year. What's to say they just win games by more this year? Yeah, yeah. No, oh, you, you make a very valid point. And again, winning close games, it, it's a key part to success. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely. But they also did overachieve massively last season with the list they had. Mm. They have strengthened that list. Tom Mitchell comes in, Bobby Hill comes in, McStay could be pivotal up forward. Um, again, I let, let's see if they can actually back that up again because I, I just think there's, yeah, again, you make a good point, but can they can they back it up to say we really can win these close games? It's not just luck. Let's let's do it again to prove the doubt is wrong. Or yeah, are they going to slip a bit? Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be tight. I think a lot of teams are getting better this season as well. It's not just – I don't think Collingwood will be doing any much worse than what they were last season, but I think a lot of teams could also close that gap on them too. But, yeah, it's a hard one to predict. So, and so the last one I have to challenge you before I give my, my fader is, is Fremantle. So 15 wins, six, yeah. six losses, one draw, and 117 percentage points. Has them above Collingwood like most teams in the top eight last year, to be honest. And they've built year on year on year. Mm. So where did you see their regression? Where's their where's their weakness? Why are they not like they were they were in the top four for a lot of last season, mm. and they ran out of legs late, and that's fair enough. They were they're still developing, but how does that development not continue? As opposed, why is it going to turn around this year? Oh, I'm not saying it will. I'm not saying I'm not saying they will drop out. <laughs> Don't of hold me accountable to I'm, these to these opinions. <laughs> I'm just saying that on average there are three teams that. Jump out of the air. Yeah, yeah. Like if you look, if you look at the year before last year, 2021, Port Adelaide finished second. Yeah. All right. No one expected them to drop out of the eight, let yeah. alone the top four. They did. Uh, GWS also went from seventh to um, to the bottom three. Essendon finished in the top eight. Everyone thought they'd back that up and maybe win a final last year. They didn't. All these, you know, you, you could have this discussion every year around teams who, you, you know. You, you think will go well, but you know when the stuff gets when the games get started, they don't. It's 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 just the way it happens, unfortunately. But yeah, so when I'm looking at this top eight, I, I'm just looking at the most likely teams to drop out. Geelong should be good enough. Melbourne should be good enough. Sydney, 
Brisbane have strengthened. So who are the most likely to drop out? I don't know. Yeah, I, I just think Fremantle just fall into that bracket, that sixth to eighth bracket that where they, you know, if they just go through a, a, a dip in form, it could cost them because there might only be one or two games, you know, from missing the eight to, you know, finishing ninth or tenth. They lose two key pillars at each end of the ground. Rory Lobb, who was one of their leading goal kickers last year. Griffin Logue, again, a key defender. How, how, do, how do they go this season without them? They bring in O'Meara, yes, but um, and and obviously Luke Jackson, who could fill that forward role. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it's again, I, I just want to see a bit more from them. But again, they, they could go either way as well. They could make top four. They could even win the premiership. But I think it's just one of those things where we just have to wait and see. So interestingly, this year has all been about the talls going, you know, to clubs and what they're going to do and how they're going to change the game. So you mentioned Rory Lobb there. This brings in my fader, the Western Bulldogs. And I think sometimes the fader to predict is easier when are they at the end of a run? So Port Adelaide finished second. They played in a prelim. Last year they missed funnels. Mm-hmm. They played the prelim the year before that as well. So they've been up there, they've been up there. They didn't quite make it all the way. They bottomed out. If you go way back in time when Brad Scott was still at North, the same thing happened. It was prelim, prelim, and then you know yeah. the slow decline or the quick <laughs> decline. So that makes more sense. Whereas, and that's the same with the doggies. So Fremantle, I still think, is on the up. They've yeah. still got more to develop. Yes, they've lost players. Yes, they have to rearrange. But that happens to every team each year. You look at the doggies. All of a sudden, they're trying to completely change who they are on the run because they've lost Dunkley, they've lost Hunter. They were they were a midfield, they were a team of twenty two midfielders each mm. week, basically. And now they've gone and tried. You know what we should do? What we've never done for the last six <laughs> years: have some talls at both ends of the grounds and play like a completely different football club. And you said at the start of the podcast, it's all about coaching. Has Bevo proven to us that he can coach that style of football? Does he, has his football department proven that? Because each year they've had tolls come in and just be left out to the doldrums. Yeah. Yeah. So I see them missing on that basis alone. And also because I think A, the competition is so tight, but also B, it's pretty much very reliable to last year. There hasn't been that many shifts and changes other than maybe, you know, is Geelong still too old? But we've asked that question for way too many years now. And so until they prove it by finishing outside the top four, then then I think we can't really challenge them anymore. But Dog is on the slide for mine, but mm. you had them as your bolter. So yeah. where do you where do you see? Do you, is it the Tours coming in and just being a more well-rounded football team? Well, again, you you mentioned the um, you mentioned you know the likes of Dunkley going out and all that, and last year being a team of of midfielders essentially, and that's exactly what they were. I think they were just trying to squeeze in all these players and trying to make it work. And I, I think I think Bevo is a good coach. I just think when you when, when you've got Bontempelli, who's one of the best players in the competition, playing somewhat out of position. Um, just to fit in the likes of Dunkley and McRae and Liberatore, Trelaw, who, who was just handballed to them in that trade period a couple of years ago. You know, it, it's hard to make it work with with so many pieces and not enough space to put them in. But with with the space that's been freed up by Dunkley and by Hunter, like you said, um, yeah, Bontempelli is going to be playing more midfield time this year. Like that, that can only be a good thing. He could win the Brownlow. 
even. Liberatore, his game the other day in the practice match was unbelievable and he's one of the best ball winners in the competition, as is McRae. Um, Trelaw gets more midfield time. He, stop, he can stop being, you know, a small forward for 50% of the game. Bailey Smith could really, he could explode this year as well. Um, he, could be, he could become one of the best players in the competition. Their forward line, they bring in Lob. Uh, I, I know you're, you're kind of saying that, you know, now they're just bringing in all the tools in the competition, but he could, he actually has a good element in his game where he can chip it in the ruck, support English, but also become a 30, 40 goal, goal kicker. Um, and then you've got like Norton, you've got Josh Bruce coming back, um, Sam Darcy, they'll probably play him in defense, hopefully, because I think that's where his natural position lies. He could become, again, one of the stars of the competition. They bring in Liam Jones, who was pretty good at Carlton a couple of years ago, um, and they've been lacking that key back for a few years now. He takes pressure off um, takes pressure off Ryan Gardner in defense. Jumara Ugo-Hagen, again, sorry, he was another one of those forwards, tall forwards. They could have one of the most deadliest forward combos in the competition, really, when you when you consider the likes of, you know, Lob, Norton, Ugo-Hagen, Bruce, Bontempelli for 30% of the game. That is scary. It really is. Um, and for once, I think this is – for once, I'm seeing a Bulldogs team with a bit of structure. They've, yeah. They've got, they've got a good spine. They've got defense. They've got midfielders. They've got a forward line. They've got, got a good ruckman. I think it could easily all come together for them this year and win a premiership. I just think in my opinion, obviously it's all just opinion, but this is the one year where the Doggies would have wanted – a preseason competition. <laughs> yeah. So they can bed this stuff in. So it's not round five and you're yeah. two and three, you're one and four because you haven't quite worked out this game plan yet because you're used to having all these midfield rotations and now it's eight blokes doing, you know, that six person rotation, not 12. Yeah. So it's such a, such a vast different change to game style. I, it history would suggest it, it, it's going to take a long time to work yeah. and when it finally does work and maybe this is a play for for the year after as well this is like an elongation of Bevo's career and his time at, at the doggies potentially by saying you know what let's commit to a different style let's rejuvenate let's rebuild on the run to use the uh, the vogue terminology but in terms of you know to use other vogue terminologies it might be a step backwards to go to a step forwards mm. but that were my fader they were your bolter yeah um who other was in your bolter categories um, you're going to laugh at me. Obviously, Carlton's the obvious one from outside that top eight to come in. Um, I think, you know, obviously they've got a very good spine and could be good enough to win a premiership, to be quite honest. If they stay fit, obviously Sam Walsh is out of that team. Zach Williams is injured. Uh, the key to them is staying fit. And if they do, they could finish top four and who knows where they can go from there. When the, when the Blue Army is behind them, uh, anything can happen. But a real smoky bolter, if you want to call it, yeah. are the Giants. Because I don't – again, a lot of people are putting them in their bottom three, bottom four again. Mm-hmm. But for me, I don't think they're a bottom three side. No. No way. No way. I know they lose Toronto and Hopper, but again, I think losing those players frees up the likes of Josh Kelly, Stephen Canelio, Tom Green to be playing more midfield time. Callahan, who could explode this year, he, he was a t- 
top five draft pick from a couple of years ago. So he's going to be getting more midfield time. They're not short of midfielders. They're not short of forwards, definitely. They've got your Hogan's, the, the, um, Aaron Cadman, who they've brought in with the number one pick last year. Um, again, they've got, they've got so many players that can really just turn it on. Toby Green, for me, is a top five player in the competition. Jake Riccardi. Um, and then defense, they've got Sam Taylor, Nick Haynes. These, these are guys that played in the grand final a couple, a couple of years ago. Connor Iden, who's a very sought-after defender. They've got a new coach. Adam Kingsley is a fresh voice, new ideas. Um, if you can just get it all to click with this team, who are very good on paper, they could make finals. Absolutely. I Yeah, absolutely. They could make finals. And there's, I think, obviously a few spots there. Only problem is, is that we've said this about the Giants before and they haven't made that step. So often the step was they're finishing in the top eight but not going to the top four. Mm-hmm. When they made the top four, they didn't, you know, they got to the grand final. They didn't, you know, they didn't win. They've never seemed to be the team to quite do the thing that we all can see that they could do on paper at that time. And so this this year that's going from, you know, very poor side last year to playing finals. Albeit though, I think momentum helps them and they have the pressure of being, they get a bit bashed in the media, but like as if they know about it because they, you know, it's it's Western Sydney, so they're not, they're really ignored by their local media. So they have that kind of relaxation period. But also they have an opener against Adelaide, West Coast, Carlton, Essen, Hawthorne. So they're probably four and one. And Carlton, yeah. they can definitely beat Carlton. So then they're five, they're five and oh. And they're on top of the Boys ladder. Horrible record. After yeah, yeah, after a month of a month and a bit of football and all of a sudden you're halfway to finals and you're three quarters of the way to, you know, finishing very high up the ladder. So mm. I agree with with the Giants there. Um, and you know, and Carlton, unfortunately is just the obvious choice. Yeah. Is, is they, they should again on paper, if they are healthy and fit play finals football this year. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Although again, Carlton have shown us that they, they can work out ways not to do it. Well, that's it. it they, they are, when I, when I actually looked into this, I was a bit amazed. Like they are entering their ninth season into this rebuild, Gordo. 2015 is when they started. They mm-hmm. brought in um, Bolton as the coach. Um, they pressed the reset button again. Um, and, yeah, we're entering a ninth season into this rebuild and they haven't made finals once since. When was the last time they actually made finals? It was 2013, but that was by default because of the Essendon thing. So they didn't actually finish in the top eight. I mean, you have to go right back to 2011, which is almost 12 years ago now. So... Um, for a club like Carlton to, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the AFL to not show up in finals for 10 years now and not be in a grand final since 99, um, it, it's just too long. And this has to be the year. If it's not the year, questions will be asked because this team is is, is ready for it. I think, again, on paper, they've handed out the big contracts. All their big boys are all on five, six-year deals, million-dollar contracts. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. Even if there are a few injuries, they got mm. to win games of footy. Last season, they choked as, as much as Carlton fans wouldn't want to hear that. They did, and um, it has to come together this season. So th- there will be a bit of pressure on them going into it. Um, but, yeah, that surely they make finals. Yeah, and again, you know, Voss last year was quite good at trying to like, you know, maintain and temper expectations and not get too hyped up. But Carlton fans are a different beast. They don't play by those rules. They don't. They don't listen to the the media manager down at the club. They they will believe that their club should 
not will, but should uh, be playing in a premiership in a, like taking the whole thing. So, mm-hmm. and on paper, they're definitely, you know, last year they had the Coleman medalist and they had the Brownlee medalist. Like yeah. it's, their, their team is stacked. It's, yeah. it's a very good football set on paper, but you know, football's not played on paper. And if the opposite happens, and they are a little bit injury prone already, as we've already shown. You know, yeah. suddenly Voss is under the pump, and they love killing a coach more than <laughs> anyone else in the competition. So you know, if they go off to a slow start, you know, it'll be Voss in the gun and not Hinkley, and Hinkley will appreciate yeah. the distraction very, very much. My Smokies now. So I just noticed here, and always read ahead in the run sheet, ladies and gentlemen. But <laughs> Western Bulldogs weren't just the Bolters; they were your Smokies for the Premiership. So yeah, my were, Bolter was GWS yeah. and or Carlton. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, Smokies was the Bulldogs. You've gone. I've got them as a, as a fader. You got them as an absolute <laughs> Smokie for a top four slash, you know, Premiership. Temptation yeah, and yeah, yeah. fair enough for yeah. all those reasons that you've mentioned before. Yeah, mine's a little bit more obvious because I think it's a little bit more realistic. Sydney obviously played in the grand final last yes. year. I think they did it ahead of their time. So yeah. for the same reason that Collingwood were ahead of their time and will go back and do better things this year, I think the Swans will as well. Obviously, the probably the direct correlation would be the Giants mm-hmm. who played got there before their time ish. Not really that I probably do at that, that that stage and got pumped and then. Fell to bits. Um, I don't see Sydney doing that. I think their their club structures, their off field systems, their on field systems, their coaching systems, the 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 depth of their players, and the variety of the age of their players as well. Mm. I think they're a club that can handle that that uh, adversity, that that loss, and so the mental scars. I don't think will be as impactful as it was on Adelaide, as it was on GWS. I don't think they fall apart into a heap. However, you know history suggests that you do. So that's the fifty-fifty for mine. The other fifty-fifty-two is obviously Buddy. They don't rely as much on Buddy as they have in previous years, but you know you got Sam Breed, you got Buddy Franklin. If they suddenly go from being very serviceable AFL players last year to you know, not getting through a game to not playing eight games to not playing at the back half of the season, all of a sudden you have to vastly restructure your football side each week yeah. to fill those gaps. If that happens, I don't know. Like who's there to fill in those gaps? Yeah, yeah. Um, Logan McDonald still falls into that young category, 21 years old. Um yeah, I agree with you, though. Their, their list is scary good, really, mm. um, the age structure of it. Their, their 19 to 25-year-olds are unbelievable. I think, again, like you, it, it can all come to fruition this season, definitely. Um, they, they showed in the latter part, parts of last season that, you know, it's more than capable. Um, but if it doesn't happen this season, it'll happen next year or the year after or the year after that. Like, they are set up for a good five to seven-year period of success. So um, exciting times for Swans fans. And so they're our Smokies and now for everyone's favourite. The the obvious one you get slammed over the head with in six months' time, your favourites for the Premiership. Nick, who is your favourite for the Premiership? It's, it's clear cut for me, actually. Brisbane Lions. Brisbane Lions. They, the perennial chokers. Yes, but they won't be this year. I'm predicting them to go all the way. They have recruited to win the flag now and they've brought in some stellar players. Josh Dunkley, an A grader, added into that midfield alongside Lockie Neal, who really needed, you know, another shoulder to um, 
yeah, share the load with. So Josh Dunkley comes into that midfield, goal scoring midfielder. Their forward line last season as well was so inconsistent, like the likes of Danaher and Hipwood, obviously Hipwood coming back from injury. They, they could turn it on one day and then the next day they could miss 10 shots on goal between them. So they lacked a bit of experience. They lacked a bit of composure, but they bring in Jack Gunston now who has premiership experience and can very much kick 40 goals for them this season as well. So their forward line gets better. Their midfield gets better. Will Ashcroft comes in. He can have like a Nick Dacos-like season uh, like last year. Um, Yeah, another youthful injection of energy into that midfield. So I I just think their whole team now, um, and of course, Conor McKenna in defense as well, they've got a good mix of, um, of youth, of experience, of veterans, Brownlow medalists, potential Coleman medalists. Um, yeah, yeah. I just I don't see who can stop them. They'll, they'll win a majority, if not all, of their games at the Gabba, especially if they finish in the top two and get you know two home finals over there. And as we talked about uh, early in the pod, like you're always trying to follow the blueprints and picking up Dunkley and Gunston is very much that Geelong blueprint. Like mm. we're ready, but we're not quite there. Can we go poach some top end talent? Yeah. Well, they're two premiership players. Like Jeremy Cameron and an mm. Isaac Smith, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah. Almost, almost exactly the same, really. Yeah. And so, yeah, you do that. You throw in the best draftees since you know the last best drafter we had. I think it like <laughs> happens every year, but you no, know, apparently yeah. Will Ashcroft is indeed that good. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, they're they're there and raring to go. My only concern is it feels a little bit like poor Adelaide for mine. It's a bit two prelims and and no good. Yeah. So all five prelims again. In this case, it's like (laughs) they've got all the players. They've had all the players. They've got one of the best man manager coaches. They've got a great home ground advantage now. You know things are looking pretty good on field, off field. It's just they get to September and they can't get the job done. And I don't know how you change that. Yeah. Well, they did break their MCG hoodoo last season. They did beat the D's on their own home deck, which was an impossible task um, this time last year. So maybe that will give them belief. Who knows? But um, this, with, with a couple of more veteran heads in that team, uh, I think they're raring to go. Yeah. And so my favourite, uh, probably the opposite side of the most obvious coin is is Melbourne. And, yes, we live in Melbourne. So maybe I've just been consuming too much Melbourne media because they looked good. And, you know, yeah, they caught the eye against St Kilda in a 18-quarter you know, preliminary match simulation game. So we can ignore that one. But they looked very, very good against Richmond. And Richmond aren't a bad side. And, yes, it's a preseason game played in the boiling hot sun in the middle yep. of summer. So it means nothing. But what took my fancy is how much they've changed their game style. So they went yeah. from being a side that, you know, I always criticize them from they get forward to, get forward to the halfway line and they just bomb it long. Yeah. And they used to turn over a lot in their forward 50. Now they're lowering their eyes. They're moving more often. Mm-hmm. They're being a lot more precise with their insertion kicks. So they're becoming a bit more, you know, just a bit more accurate, a bit more efficient going forward, not relying on so many bulk numbers. And so, like, if you can, if you can, as we talk about the three parts, Dimmer always talks about, you know, clearances, by far the best clearance team in the competition, equally as good as anyone else in the competition on turnover. Can they be more efficient going forward? The preseason says yes, they can. History suggests going to win 14 plus games. 
They're going to be there, thereabouts again. They have the MCG advantage. They've got the monkey off their back with the premiership two years ago. Yeah. It's all lining up for them pretty pretty well, in my mm. opinion. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, they're, they're amongst – they're in that bracket of top two or three teams that can win the flag this year for mine. And what, what, what's interesting for me, though, with the Ds and the reason why I didn't have them winning the premiership is this Gorn-Grundy combo could be very good, could be deadly – they could absolutely tear the competition to shreds this year. But one of them has to move forward and it's most likely going to be gone at this stage from what we're hearing. Um, he'll spend a majority there um, rather than Grundy, who's more of you know that midfield type Ruckman. But um, okay, so you throw Gorn, who's slow, not so mobile, tall, limbering Ruckman into a forward line mix that already has Ben Brown, Tom McDonald, not the most agile full forwards in the competition. Um, how is that going? How is that going to work? How are these three tall, slow forwards going to make it work in such a fast-paced game? That's what's going to be interesting for me. Can they make it work? It looked deadly against the Tigers. I think Gorn and Grundy shed, uh, kicked three goals each, but um, can they sustain that? You know, over the course of the whole season. Will they be too predictable going forward? It's going to be really interesting to watch. The interesting one I think they might use, because of the sub changes this year, you could just make a sub now, can't you, on the bench? It's yes. not yeah, it's not injury sub, you just make the sub. Yeah. So if you start every game with Gorn and Grundy and get to halfway through the second halfway through the third quarter and go, Well, it's just too tall, mm. make the sub. Yeah. Well, the main management of that will be interesting. Well, yeah, <laughs> who's yes. going to be the one that wants to get subbed off yeah. with a quarter and a half to go? I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess technically they can do that. Because mm. um, that's part of the reason why I think this would be really exciting from, you know, from a nerdy X's and O tactical point of view. It becomes a bit like Premier League. It becomes a bit like Ramble yeah. football. Yeah. It's all of a sudden like this game is, this game, this one-off game is not working. Yeah. How do we fix it? Right now. Definitely. Whereas in previous, it was like, okay, these are our rotations unless someone gets injured. So yeah. I quite like the sub. I know it's not, you know, traditional. I'm sure someone will get subbed in like the last three minutes and get their debut and Demi yeah. will blow up and <laughs> it'll be on Fox footy for three and a half days. But, you know, I, I don't care about that. I like I like that nerdy match management aspect of footy sometimes as well. Yeah. So these are mine. The team we didn't mention um, at all really is Geelong, the Premier's. Usually, every year, the Premiers are the favourite to go back-to-back. They are $2.50 favourites to make the grand final on Sportsbet. Uh, they're the favourites by a dollar. Why didn't we mention them? Why didn't you mention Geelong? Um, I think last season, it, it ended up being their year, obviously. Selwood got the fairy tale ending to his career. Um, you know, Jeremy Cameron and Dangerfield, they, they win that uh, long-awaited long premiership they've been searching for for so long. Um, are they going to have the drive this year to do it again? And Joel Sale will not be in there, their inspirational leader. I still think they'll finish maybe top four or top six, but will they have that drive in finals to really go again and compete against the likes of, you know, Brisbane and Melbourne who will really, you know, they're, they're on that hunt for that premiership Melbourne, more so winning the premiership in Victoria. Yeah, I don't know about the Cats. I don't know if they can do back-to-back. See, I think they're a bit different for mine because I don't think they're this emotional team. I was watching a, a little clip from the NBA today. Uh, it was 
uh, talking about the Cleveland's team that beat Cleveland's team that beat the Golden State Warriors, yep. and basically they were just getting so petty deliberately. Like something would be said in the media, they'd clip it up, they'd literally stick it on the wall, and they'd be like, "The media doesn't believe in us. Mm-hmm. They think that this is Golden State's championship to win." Yep. You know, um, I think some of the players' wives came out and like got, complained about the facilities at their home stadium, saying like, "We had to wait in line for too long." They clipped that up and like put it on the stadium and like, you know, they don't think that we're even good enough to host a finals thing, and like it was all very petty and like very yeah. much like trying to hype themselves up. Yeah. But the opposite of that is the Warriors, who are process-driven, who are standards-driven, who are, you know, connection-driven. I think that's Geelong. Like, Geelong have been so good so so for so long, I think you couldn't go to Geelong and get worse. Like, I don't think you could train at Geelong and get worse as a football player. Yeah. You know, maybe Gary Rowington. But aside from Gary Rowington, <laughs> <laughs> not many other players could get, could get worse. And so... I think that's that's the difference. They're not going to be like, oh, the monkey's off our back. They're going to be like, that's the standard now. Mm. We've improved the standard year on year. We've tried to get better incrementally year on year. The standard is to win it again. Yeah. It was all for nothing if we didn't win it again. I feel like that has that, you know, that Melbourne Storm, the Golden State Warriors, that New England Patriots, they're in that echelon. That's why Scott uh, Selwood, Joel Selwood, sorry, is off, you know, getting gigs at every sports team in the world because they've obviously hatched that code to like yeah. create, well, if they, Penultimate uh, success, yeah. If, if they do win the premiership this year, I'll have a newfound level of respect for them. I already do have mm. respect for the Cats, but, yeah, if they can do it, oh, yeah. they. I'll put them above Hawthorne as the best modern team club of this era. Yeah, well, definitely of the AFL era, yeah. 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 Well, interesting. <laughs> There we go. So that is the season done. You don't have to watch it anymore. It's all been worked out for you. Uh, it's going to be either a, a Geelong, someone, grand final, obviously. So for you, Brisbane, for me, Melbourne and Geelong, um, that's a little giveaway to potentially my uh, big bet. But we'll get to that after our games of the week. We won't preview every game because we'll just be guessing, to be quite frank. But uh, what is a game that you must watch this week and that our fans at Footy Live must watch as well? Oh, the big one... Is Friday night. There's a few big ones, uh, including Thursday, but Friday night for me, qualifying final replay between the Cats and the Pies. It was one of the games of the season last year during the finals. And, you know, to kick this year off with this uh, matchup is so exciting. There's going to be over 90,000 people at the MCG. And, I mean, you can't really predict who's going to win this one. It's, it's too close to call, but I'm going the Cats by a goal. And also Jer- Jeremy Cameron to leave at halftime because of the birth of his first child. There we go. A lovely little angle there. <laughs> you say it's a big weekend of football, but there's also some uh, there's also some dumpster fires in here as well. Oh yeah, we got St Kilda Freo, which is going to be at the moment. Sportsbet uh, hasn't quite updated their injury list, I don't think, because the Saints are a dollar ninety four, Dockers a dollar ninety. Yeah. Northwest uh, Coast. Yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, St Kilda's missing half their squad, so I'll be having a little double on that one. <laughs> the obvious game to watch Thursday night, but everyone will be watching that because it's the first game back as they always do. So yeah. you already know about that one, but one to really clear your schedule for I think uh, Port Adelaide Brisbane Lions so we've been talking about the Lions that's their first real test okay. travel away do it away do it against the side that's favoured at home against them which is a shock for mine as well um, 
Adelaide Oval always has a great atmosphere and Hinkley's under the, under the pump as of the, as of the power this year. So it's going to be on for them from the get-go. Yeah. And therefore, you can expect a nice uh, physical heated clash and roll it into obviously the uh, 7.25 game as well. You, you have a good Saturday, Melbourne versus the Bulldogs. And, yeah, you know, big one. we say in Melbourne's playing some uh, more aggressive style football. They're almost switching places, you know. And Melbourne's playing that eyes down, you know, really precise inside 50 game and the Bulldogs have got themselves some nice tools up front. So yeah. uh, two different styles. How do they bet in? We'll learn a lot from that game as well. So you said they sorted and then uh, if you need to, you know, do something else, do the uh, do the um, with the washing or the lawns on Sunday, uh, maybe you can listen to Hawks versus Bombers <laughs> oh, on the radio. Come on, Hawks versus Bombers. It's a traditional rivalry. We love that. So before we let our fans get on with their first round of football, do you have a big bet brought to you by Sportsbet to uh, open up the season? It could be a future, it can be a weekend prop, it can be a multi, whatever you want. I'll go along with the theme of the podcast and go a future. I'll, I'll put my top four down, Gordo. Yep. I'll go, I mean, they don't really work in any particular order, do they? But I'll go Brisbane, Melbourne, who are both $2 to make the top four. Sydney, who are $2.88. And Carlton, who are three dollars to make top four, which is surprisingly a bit low. There you go. Yeah, I would have thought you might get a bit more than that, but uh, you know, you've obviously picked out the most obvious choices, so <laughs> that will obviously happen. No Geelong, though. No Geelong. Yes. Well, I've got a very different approach. The top two and the bottom two, I think, are obvious in mine. Geelong and Melbourne will have that, just have that Victorian slash Dinia Park advantage that other teams don't have. So they're going to finish top two. Obviously, they're great teams. We've just spent an hour talking about both of them. Uh, and bottom two, obvious to mine as well, North Melbourne and Hawthorne. That's paying a whopping $12.50 for what I think are pretty obvious choices. It won't yeah. come off now. I've all, like, of course, it won't come off now. <laughs> and it's probably going to be Melbourne that lets me down because they've let me down every year that I've picked them or not picked them. So, uh, exactly right. So yeah. uh, definitely don't go with that at $12.50. It is value, but it's obviously cursed. And just like that, it brings you to the end of our preview of the massive season that is 2023, one that rhymes with the year because it has 23 rounds as well to be played, including a nice super gathering at Adelaide, which we'll get to in due time. Thank you, as always, Nick, for a very in-depth analysis and preview of the season ahead. Good luck to your Hawks. Uh, I'll be tipping them (laughs) against the the Bombers. Yes, I will be too. Well, you have to in round one as well, and uh, everyone will be super keen to watch Thursday Night Football. Come on, the Tiggers, and uh, enjoy your footy until next week.